Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast. It's Monday, March 28th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. It is a Final Four season at Kansas. The Jayhawks won their way to college basketball's biggest party after boat racing Miami 76-50 in the Midwest Region Final on Sunday in Chicago, and we are here to talk about it. And by we, I mean the folks that cover the team, Jesse Newell and Gary Bedour. We've reviewed the game, how Kansas overcame a six-point halftime deficit, put the hammer down in the second half, and what lies ahead in New Orleans, site of the Final Four. Well, we know Villanova's up next, and the KU Nova winner will take on the survivor of the other national semifinal, Duke versus North Carolina. How about that Final Four? Kansas, Villanova, Duke, and UNC. Boy, there's some blue blood there. Okay, let's get going. I get it started by asking Gary, a Chicago native, what was on my mind. Gary, how was the deep dish? Oh, we're not on, are we? <laughs> yes, we are. We are absolutely oh. on. I want a report on the deep dish. Well, um, Giordano's was, uh, we got thin pizza there, and it was pretty good. It was pepperoni, but like, I think it's Dave Portnoy does the pizza reviews. Yeah. I can't give that one a 10 or anything, but I don't want to anger the pizza people. It was still the good, uh, but not amazing. Then we went to Lou Malnati's for deep dish and it was good. But again, I cannot in good faith, give it a 10 or anything. So deep dish good, but uh, maybe I'm a jerk, but that's what I, <laughs> what I think the rating, not Nirvana. So it's not the best that you've ever had. No. Yeah. I don't know. It looked good when you tweeted the, the picture of it. So, um, yeah. uh, and I always, I, I never failed to get the deep dish when I'm, when I'm there, but you guys were there covering Kansas and the Midwest region. That's um, that is complete. And Kansas is moving on to the final four with the victory over uh, Miami beaten by 26 points. And let me just um, say that, in, in their second round win over Creighton, the Blue Jays late cut that deficit to one and actually had the ball uh, late with down one. That's Kansas got a steal and Obaji got the the, the floor length uh, drive. And in the in the uh, Sweet Sixteen game uh, against Providence, the Friars actually took the lead somewhat late in the second half, and Kansas responded. I thought those two opponents were going to be more difficult than Miami. Imagine my surprise at halftime when KU trailed by six and looked terrible in the last last minute or so of the first half. Let me ask you, Jesse, what uh, what were your thoughts at halftime of the Kansas-Miami game? Yeah, well, going in, I mean, the quick scout, uh, real quick, Blair, by the way, asking about deep dish pizza after KU makes the final four is the – uh, the number one example of burying the lead. So I, I credit you on that. That is what we call in the business, burying the lead, putting putting the good stuff toward the end. Um, yeah, so I, I just sort of thought that this was kind of like VCU where Miami pressures, they shoot a lot of shots. They're not afraid to fire away. You can hear Jim Laranega talking about, hey, those guys are going to shoot them up. They're not going to be full of pressure. Um, they're going to give up some open threes. 
which is okay with them because they're going to try to gamble defensively and get some turnovers. And in that first half, I just thought Miami was kind of free. KU was kind of tight. The lid wasn't coming off the basket as Bill Self often likes to talk about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the frustrating thing for KU had to be that in the VCU game, I felt like VCU played really well and that's why they were up. KU Miami at first half, I didn't think Miami was playing that well. I thought KU was playing that poorly and just not making shots. You know, it wasn't like um, they were throwing the ball away a bunch. They were getting shots. They just, just couldn't make free throws. They were 0 for 5 from 3. They were 6 for 12, I think, from layups and dunks. I mean, at some point, you know, you, you'd think that Kansas can't play tight the entire tournament, and yet here for the two-and-a-half game in a row, they were playing tight like they were the previous tournament. So I, I thought early in the second half, kind of when they umped up up their intensity, got a couple dunks, got a couple runouts, and then Christian Brown had that three. It just felt like finally KU had that, oh, you know, sigh moment where they all could relax and go play basketball because, like I said, for five halves in a row, this did not look like the Kansas team that me and Gary covered the entire season. They looked like a completely different, tight team that was relying on Remy Martin to go save them offensively. And then for a half, finally, they looked like the Kansas that was the Big 12 title winner along with Baylor and the team that rolled its way to a number one seed. So uh, I think that had to be paused for Bill Self to see that finally his team just kind of was able to exhale and play basketball, and we'll see if they can continue that in the Final Four. I, I thought they were passing up shots in the first half that, they, that Bill Self probably would like to have seen them shoot. I thought Abaji was too timid for an All-America alpha dog <laughs> kind of player. Um, I, they were having all kinds of issues. And, and down 32-26, I think that was the score. I know it was a six-point deficit. At, uh, at maybe 3529. I can't remember. 3529. Yeah. Thank that's you. 3529. Right. Uh, uh, Gary, what, what did Bill, what did Self say about first half and what he might have said to the team at uh, in the locker room? Well, uh, the Bill said it wasn't a big uh, speech or anything, but he said that uh, the problem the first half was McGusky, McGusty was scoring too much. So he put Dewan Harris on him. And self-credited Harris as much as uh, anybody for his defensive work on McGusty. Uh, um, so he switched that at halftime, I guess. And uh, self-praised McCormick for a really good start in the second half where they kept feeding him. And uh, self said that it was like a uh, runaway train or whatever went once they started rolling, you know, it went from four to eight to 16 and they just couldn't be stopped. But I don't really remember him saying why they were so terrible early. He didn't mention nerves this time. Uh, it was just in my eyes, you know, Miami was just zipping by the Jayhawks. It looked like Charlie Moore was going to have a good game. Charlie only finished with five points and three assists. So uh, it didn't sound, at least from what I heard, like any monumental halftime thing. And and I think Bill was really worried about McGusty more than anything, maybe. Yeah, he was hot, for sure. The old Oklahoma player. Um, if we want to go to a tease, Blair, uh, that's what our Sam McDowell wrote about, is the halftime talk. Uh, okay. I know, oh. I, know, I know a lot of people will be asking about that. And, uh, you know, without giving away too much of his story, um, the players that, that Sam talked to basically said they were sitting in their lockers ready for Bill Self to come in and giving them the fire and brimstone talk. 
And instead he came in and had a calm demeanor and sort of just kind of told them what they needed to do. And so I, I've not been able to read Sam's piece yet. I encourage everybody to go out there and read it. And obviously by the time this thing posts, I will be, have been able to read it, but um, it sure yeah. sounds like uh, from what the players said, you know, self is going to deflect credit and he's never going to give himself credit. But again, for five straight halves, they looked pretty tight and Bill self on the sideline was acting pretty tight uh, it sounds like potentially in the most crucial of moments that the players sort of reflected their coach again when he came in there and gave more of a reasoned take and more of a calm take. And uh, again, his team sure seemed to respond in the second half when they went on that amazing run. One of the um, lineups that I uh, that I found interesting was the one that Bill used at the end of the first half when he had uh, Coleman, um, uh, Coleman lands and he had basically five guards on the floor. It McCormick was out. Lightfoot was out. Uh, Wilson was out as well. And, you know, you, you if I remember this right, uh, Coleman lands, uh, Remy Martin, uh, Dewan Harris, and then, uh, Ochai and, uh, and Christian Brown were on the floor for the last, I don't know, since maybe the last media timeout till uh, till the end of the half. They got a couple of buckets out of it, but then they couldn't get stops, and that's how it ended up being six at halftime. And I just – I had never seen that lineup uh, just to go completely small. I guess that was to counteract what Miami was doing offensively at that time. Um, but uh, it, it was just – it struck me as unusual to see that. And I noticed you had a tweet, Jesse, that uh, at some point during the first half, maybe it was late as we were approaching halftime, that – said just you know maybe just gotta put the five best players on the floor and go with it and um and and, and you know he started the the same group that started the game started the second half which is always the case remy martin doesn't start for for kansas and as you guys have mentioned they just uh, they were on fire coming out of of halftime and mccormick scores the first five points of uh, of the second half and the lead just uh, just grows and grows and grows yeah, so some interesting things going on there at the end of the first half because I did tweet that. I basically said, hey, when KU's down six at halftime, I think the inclination is to think, okay, how can you counteract everything Miami's doing when really the kind of the thought is like, look, you got 20 minutes left in your season. You, you got to put your five best guys on the court and, and make Miami adjust to you, that sort of thing. And to me, Brown, Abaji, Wilson, Harris, McCormick, and Remy Martin are the, the six best players. And so I figured you sort of have to rely on those guys. By the end of the first half, um, Sam Wardenberg had just hit a three over David McCormick. Uh, and David obviously struggles to get out to big men on the perimeter. We've seen that throughout the tournament. We saw that against Creighton. Uh, that's sort of his bugaboo when he has to go guard those guys. So Bill Self went with Jalen Coleman lands. At the time, Jalen Wilson had just picked up his second foul. So, you know, Bill Self has been more aggressive in recent years, putting guys back on the court with two fouls in the first half and a lot more than other coaches. But for that particular one, I think he just wanted to try to make it to halftime so that Jalen could play with a more free mind in the second half. And as we saw, the second half, basically, Bill Self rolled with those top seven guys. Uh, David McCormick got them off to that great start. And then what I think happened, you know, Bill Self kind of joked about this afterwards, saying that maybe Dave wasn't happy with him because KU rolled with uh, Mitch Lightfoot for most of the uh, second half of the second half. But I think in Bill Self's mind, again, you're talking about those pick and pops or potentially Miami playing to threes to come back. and once you get a lead, 
there's a comfort level in putting Mitch Lightfoot out there because he's going to get out to three point shooters better than David McCormick will. So you're, you're kind of lessening the variance against Miami. If you have Mitch out there, because you're just not worried about a late closeout and potentially Miami hitting a couple threes and getting back in the game really quickly. So we know this about Bill Self. He's going to do what he thinks is best to win the game. And uh, again, obviously KU went on that huge run and they pushed all the right buttons in that second half. It's amazing. I mean, they outscored Miami 47 to 15 in the second half. I mean, that is remarkable in any game, but to do that with the stakes and the elite eight already going into halftime trailing, uh, that's really a remarkable stat. Well, and you can uh, suggest, and you'd be right to say that Kansas just has more talent than Miami. They do, but Miami's coached by a guy who's been around the block a few times. Uh, Jim Laranag is a, he's a terrific coach and he couldn't, he could not muster much of a, a response for his guys in, in the second half. So another thing that I found kind of interesting is that Remy Martin didn't come into the game in the second half until about 12 minutes were left in the game. So Kansas was started its tear without Remy Martin. And, you know, that, that was unusual based on what we've seen from Remy throughout the postseason. Um, this was a, uh, this was a McCormick, Abaji, um, Christian Brown, and even Jalen Wilson with that nice, move at the basket. They were threw it behind his like behind his head off the off, off the board. It was kind of everybody but Remy. And and yet Remy was the 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 regional MVP. And I, I think he deserved it just based on I don't know if, if Kansas wins the, the the previous two NCAA games without the you know without uh, Remy Martin stepping up in the way he did. But Gary was that the was that the right call for regional MVP, Remy Martin? Yeah, I think so. Just because of what you just said, I don't think they would have survived um, maybe the first two games without him. And uh, he had over 20 in two games in a row. I I think he deserved it. Um, it seemed to me that Self was, was yelling at him uh, in the first half for something, and it looked like he was going to sit him a long time, like when he used to make mistakes and take him out and I remember Remy threw in a nice three. I think it was the second half. And I heard Self yell something right before he shot it. I don't know if he didn't want him to shoot it, but Remy, uh, he still had nine points today, I think it was. And uh, I think he did it. He was the uh, MVP of the other games. So I think he deserved to get it. Um, I don't know who else would have got it from KU. But right. uh, I think it's kind of weird and neat that after the, the wild year of Remy Martin sitting out 10 games with the bad knee and he ends up being the MVP of the regional. So if he if he has a big final four and Kansas wins it all, he could get his number retired, <laughs> <laughs> um, which would just be a remarkable story. There'd be so many remarkable stories about this year. But if Remy Martin's MVP of the Final Four, his jersey goes up. <laughs> That's an automatic one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's how B.H. Bourne got his uh, jersey up in the rafters. So, Guys, guys, you're missing the most obvious one here, which was the gravy train was going to get his name up there yeah. for all time. <laughs> 16 points, 16 rebounds in the national title game. Uh, gravy train Jeff Graves would have been up there. He would have hmm. been the qualifier. <laughs> Uh, what a missed opportunity that was for, for Cam. Yeah. yeah, he would, he did have a hell of a game though, that final for sure. 
So, so uh, I remember that three pointer you referred to, Gary. It was top of the key from from Remy, and um, and I, I think that made it a ten, I want to say it made it a ten point lead or put the lead into double digits. And yeah, and and um, and, and K, you rolled from there. The, you know, the twenty six point margin. If if the CBS graphic was correct, largest victory margin in a regional final since nineteen ninety two. I didn't look it up, but um, uh, what, what that one would have been. But largest margin. Um, and, and the other, <laughs> the other thing that I, I thought about after the game is, you know, when when Miami was up at halftime, I'm thinking, yep, looks like Kansas is going to once again be the opponent in some program's greatest college basketball moment, right? <laughs> VCU or you know Northern Iowa. Um, yeah, <laughs> the list goes on of, of of programs that just you know had the their their shining moment by. You know, by beating Kansas in an NCAA tournament game, and this was going to be Miami's, um, but uh, but Kansas came out and took care of that. And it also struck me that when you think about the the, the regional final games that Self has won, the three previous ones, you know, he needed to survive Davidson the, the last second shot. You know, the the one in twelve against North Carolina was a tie game at the last media timeout, and then and then Kansas put the accelerator down, but. And then in 18, that great overtime went over Duke. So he's had to sweat out his regional championships. Um, this one, you know, once once they got to the first time out of the second half, I don't know if it's, it was heading in the right direction. And then to go ahead and win it like as big as he did, that's um, that, that runs contrary to the um, to the previous re- regional final um, outcomes for for Kansas and Bill Self. So. All right, guys, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the final four. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. And that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash SportsBeatKC offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Okay, we are back with Gary Bedore and Jesse Newell. We're talking about Kansas, the Midwest region champions. They defeated uh, Miami and uh, by 26 points in Chicago and will head to the Final Four for the 16th time in program history, for the fourth time in Bill Self's tenure. Um, and Kansas, the only number one seed uh, that, in the tournament. That was true after the Sweet 16. So they, they were the only top seed in the Elite Eight. But um, now they go and face the next highest seed in left in the tournament, the Villanova Wildcats. And Kansas and Villanova have a nice little tournament history um, uh, they, they, they've come up with here. Um, the last three national cha- – or the, the, the two national championships by Jay Wright's team um, and Bill Self's national championship, they, uh, Kansas had to beat Villanova on the way, and Villanova beat Kansas both times on the way to the title. So. 
Nice little NCAA tournament rivalry these these guys have going together. Did did any of you guys watch the Villanova Houston game on Saturday, or was that during the KU media availability? Yeah, I wasn't able to watch it. So um, all I know is just kind of what's been out there about the Justin Moore injury and potentially uh, not potentially now he's going to be out for that particular game. Uh, a big blow to Villanova and this, um, you know, this, I want to say this the correct way because I get in trouble for saying certain teams are lucky out there, but <laughs> this continues very good fortune or can you continuing to pick up four leaf clovers on the way on this run? Because um, this is like two out of five games now, including the Creighton game where the team that Kansas is facing that just advanced loses one of their key players in the game before they face Kansas. And so I, I saw some Vegas lines already. I think he's like a three and a half point favorite, which is a touch more than what you would expect from um, some of the advanced metrics out there, which is closer to one or two. But, you know, sometimes those sort of injuries, especially to starters, if there's no depth behind it or not as good a depth that can add a point or two onto the, onto the ledger. So for Kansas, I mean, I, I've wrote, written about this earlier in the tournament, but nobody says, Hey, you made the final four, but look at the schedule. And nobody says, Hey, you won a national championship, but look at the bracket you face. They say you went to the final four and you won a national championship. So um, you're right, Blair, these two teams, they can't seem to avoid each other in the final fours. That 16 game was great that Villanova beat Kansas. Um, you know, the elite eight on its way to the championship. Uh, the 18 game was not great for Kansas. That was sort of bombs away, but uh, 08, okay, you completely got Villanova's number uh, way back in that day, you know, dunking all over Nova that day. So these two teams just sort of keep finding each other. And obviously, Jay Wright's got a great program going and kind of amazing how this thing, whole, this whole thing shook out in the bracket because it could have been an insane bracket and the same Final Four blur if it was like Arkansas, St. Peter's, yeah. Miami. And instead, it ends up Carolina Duke, Kansas, Villanova. So you're, you're looking at a lot of blue bloods there. That wear blue in their uniforms. That, um, uh, the, the, the blue bloods that wear blue. So, um, yeah, not only have Villanova and Kansas crossed paths many times in the uh, in, in the postseason, but Gary, don't they? Didn't they just recently wrap up a home and home uh, regular season matchup? Um, yeah, the team split that. I believe uh, the last meeting was a Jayhawk loss in Philadelphia by only a point, and I think. Uh, a lot of these current guys played in that game. Gillespie, Samuels, Ochai, Christian Brown. And uh, late in the game, I think there was a turnover or something, and KU lost a low-scoring game. And KU had defeated them by three the year before in Allen. So that was a <clears throat> close game and would have been a big win, obviously, for Jay Wright in Allen since they'd beaten him in the tournament like that. He, he's a great coach, and I alluded to the game against Houston. That was a rock fight. The final score was 50-44, to 44 and, you know, they might as well have been wearing shoulder pads and hip pads, and it was just a, a knockdown drag out. But Villanova uh, can win those games. Villanova can win anyway. Um, Jay Wright's an excellent coach. It's, it's a great program. It may be, you know, given what they've – this third Final Four in six years, right, for, for Villanova. That's another thing. For between 2015 and um, uh, with 15, 16, 17, 18, three of the teams in the Final Four were national champions, right? Duke in 15, Villanova in 16 and 18, and North Carolina in 17. So you've got recent national champions here, and um, who knows if, if 
2020 had been allowed to happen, maybe Kansas would, would have been on that list too. You get you got three Hall of Fame coaches in this thing. Um, Naismith Hall of Famers with Jay Wright, Bill Self, and Mike Shashevsky. Um, and you would have had four if Roy was still coaching uh, North Carolina. But you get Hubert Davis, who becomes the second person in college basketball history to guide his alma mater, the, the school where he played, to a Final Four. Does anybody know who the other person who did that is? No. Played. Played for his school, obviously played in the Final Four, and then coached his school in the Final Four. That would be Dick Hart, uh, oh. University of Kansas. So we'll we'll uh, we'll talk about Villanova later in the week uh, as we as we break down the, the game. But how about the other semifinal? Duke and North Carolina have never played in the NCAA tournament. We just mentioned three times where Kansas and Villanova played in the tournament. Kansas and Duke have played four or five times in the tournament. Kansas and North Carolina have played four or five times in the tournament. But Duke and North Carolina, first time ever in the NCAA tournament. Um, when uh, and It's Mike Krzyzewski's final. We, we finally know what his you know, final weekend of coaching college basketball is. It's, it's the final four weekend in New Orleans. Do you guys have any doubt that uh, Kansas was going to be the first game once Duke won the, uh, the, the West Regional? Seemed pretty safe, didn't it? I mean, that's, uh, that's going to be a, a crazy story, and it already is a crazy story. Um, I'm pretty sure most college basketball fans are probably sick of it by now, but you understand why there's the hoopla. I mean, here's the problem, Blair. Uh, I saw this on the TV last night, and this kind of goes back to if we're doing some Kansas City history, like the old George Brett stat. You remember the old George Brett stat where he won a batting title in, uh, in three different, different decades? decades? Yeah. Yeah. So – Coach Krzyzewski's made the Final Four in five different decades now. And I was thinking, man, you know, he's been coached a while, but you know, did he make it like the 60s and 70s and stuff like that? No, 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 no. 80s, 90s, aughts, 10s, 20s. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm getting old because the 80s doesn't seem like it's five decades. You know what I mean? So uh, that one, when I saw that ESPN graphic, I thought, oh, boy, uh, we're, we're getting up there in age a little bit. Uh, I was thinking that this was like a 60s and 70s things that Coach K did. But no, it's an, it's an 80s and 90s thing. And, and those days are a little bit uh, further away than I sometimes think about. But I'm not one to believe in conspiracies, college basketball. Hey, they're in it with the officials to do this or set up this matchup or that one. But I cannot imagine that the CBS executives could be more happy over the last two days than what happened with this, because uh, as much fun as a St. Peter's is, as much fun as an Arkansas is or a Miami is, um, this is going to be primetime TV. And I know a lot of comparisons out there to 2008. I, I can't remember a Final Four loaded like this. Again, not seed-wise, because Carolina is not the top seed, that sort of thing. But uh, I can't remember a Final Four looking like this. I mean, Carolina, Duke, Kansas, Villanova. I mean, buckle up, baby. It's going to be fun. I'll tell you, Gary will remember this, the 91 Final Four with uh, with Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, and top-ranked and undefeated UNLV. And that was that was unbelievable. That was the only other time Duke and Carolina had been in the Final Four together. And Kansas spoiled the, the Duke-North Carolina National Championship game by beating Dean Smith and the Tar Heel. Roy Williams' first Final Four uh, at Kansas after Duke had – um, actually, the game, the the Duke game was second, Duke UNLV, but um, an incredible game uh, that, that Duke won at the end. So 
uh, yeah, it, it, every, I don't know, every 15 or 20 years, you might get a final four kind of like this. It, it really is a phenomenal, phenomenal lineup. And uh, I had just started my professional career when Krzyzewski started his tenure at Duke. And I was working in Virginia and we covered the ACC at our paper and nobody knew how to pronounce his name or spell his name. So we had tacked up on our bulletin board, his name correctly spelled and then a pronunciation in parentheses mm-hmm. underneath. Um, I mean, that's how anonymous he was when he got the Duke job back in 1980. So um, uh, yeah, he's gone on to a pretty fair career at, um, at Duke. Already uh, sometime during this tournament, won the 1200th game of his head coaching career, which is uh, pretty phenomenal. And, uh, you know, like I said, one of the three Hall of Fame coaches in this event. Um, all right, guys, we will have, uh, we'll, we'll have plenty of time to discuss what we think is going to happen. Uh, we'll kind of break it down. But is there, a, is, is, is there a good reason to think Kansas is going to emerge this weekend with two victories? Gary, start with you, buddy. Well, I think they'll beat Villanova um, with the second leading scorer out. And again, this year, I think Kansas has better talent than Villanova. Might not happen. I know those games have been low scoring with Villanova. So they do something right defensively. Uh, Duke, Carolina, I think it's probably in the cards that Duke gets even for losing that last time to Carolina. And then uh, Bill Self has to try to defeat Krzyzewski in the national title game when, you know, the scenario would be Coach K wins the title in his last year. And if he wins it against Kansas, he won his first title against Kansas and his last. But, uh, I see no reason why KU's talent can't be in both games. And, and I think a national title is realistic. I don't know if they'll get it, but I would think Duke, uh, the stars are probably aligned for them to be the favorites. Would they be the favorite if Kansas played Duke, Jesse? Yeah, uh, they would. Um, you know, then the numbers person in me is going to tell you that KU is the top Ken Palm team left. Um, they are the best team left in this tournament. And that is pretty amazing to say in a tournament where they started out not the best team and, and somewhere probably around sixth or seventh or eighth. And when the Gonzagas get out and the Houston's get out and the Baylor's get out, then um, this is what you're left with. So I'm looking at 538 right now. Uh, and so this is pretty remarkable. I mean, as it stands right now, according to 538's numbers, Kansas is 41% to win the national championship and 69% to get to the national title game. Um, so that's healthy. That's, that's, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, every time my mind goes back to like literally three weeks ago, Blair, when KU lost at TCU and the sky was falling uh, in Lawrence. I mean, it was like this team will never make it out of the second weekend. And now, they're basically a coin flip to win the national championship. Uh, and this has been an amazing run and it's been an amazing bracket the way it fell from the Midwest. And they've had upsets happen at the right time and injuries happen at the right time. They still got to get it done and they still got to not play tight in these future games. But man, if you'd have told anybody at any point in the season that KU would have a moment when they were 41% to win the national title, 
uh, they would have signed it all day. So we'll see what happens moving ahead. All right, guys. Great catching up with you, Jesse Newell and Gary Bedore. Uh, we'll talk to you guys again later in the week. That'll do it for today. Thanks to producer Monty Davis and to our staff of Jeff Rosen and Chris Fickett. Tip of the cap to Gary Bedore and Jesse Newell for sharing their thoughts on KU. The morning sports edition was 52 pages today. I'm setting aside a half an hour every morning to read it. Go to KansasCity.com and the subscription tab for more information. Follow the coverage of the Jayhawks as they prepare for the Final Four in the Kansas City Star and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we'll talk to you again soon.